Well, I'm in church. It's good to see everyone. If I haven't got to introduce myself or we haven't had an opportunity uh, to meet or me make a fool of myself, then I'll do it up here. Uh, so my name is Nick Hill. I have the honor of being the pastor of counseling here at Solid Rock. Um, and actually, an exciting part for us uh, is that when I say us, I mean me and my family. I hope it's exciting for y'all. Uh, February 16th, we're going to be transitioning into being pastor of missions and community, along with still doing the counseling. And so it's an exciting time for us to be here at the church full time. And my wife and I are super excited uh, to have this uh, come about. It's something we've prayed about and looked forward to for a long time. And so we're excited about that new change coming up. And so if we haven't got to meet, I would really love to meet with you and just talk about uh, where you are in community and missions and counseling and all those different things. And so I'll make myself available at the end of the service, but I'd love to get you to introduce myself and get to know you all a little bit better. Um, we have uh, mentioned a little bit is that we do have Pastor Jason, Mike Dilly, um, Elizabeth Casey, and Rachel Devenuto. They are now on the other side of the world, 14 hours ahead of us. So if you want to know what's going on and what's going to happen in the next 14 hours, we'll just talk to them, okay? Some of you are like, is that how that really works? But anyways, they're over there getting ready. It's a pilot trip, so they're working with the Rathbun family that's over on mission, getting ready for uh, the future work that's going to be done over in the Philippines. So be praying for them, for safety, for God's providence, and for the people. They're going to be talking to some uh, areas that haven't met Americans. They haven't had the gospel presented to them. And so be praying for them. And then also you'll see the construction down on the other end. We, Jason had the message earlier it's a lot of cool things happening. Um, that was a need that we had on the other end of the building for admin. And it's now because of God doing different cool things here at Solidock, it's now becoming a different need for students and young kids. And it's just neat to see how it's transitioning, how it's changing. It's not quite ready for us to walk through it. It's taped off. Um, but you can stick your head down there. It is really neat to see how it's all changing. And it's changing because God is doing awesome things. So that's progress down there, visible, tangible progress of what God has been doing uh, in the lives of the people here at Solid Rock. And so I'm really excited to continue in this SR Vision sermon series. And so we hear it, like Jason just mentioned, that we hear it all the time of what the Bible declares our mission to be. It's not just something we came up with and said, you know, that sounds really catchy. I think we can put it in a video, you know, have some screenshots of different people doing different things, set some music to it. It's going to be awesome. No, it was a lot of prayer and a lot of reading God's word saying, what is God calling us to do as his church? And so today we're going to be looking and answering the question of what is biblical community? What does that look like? What does it mean? And I just want to ask you a few questions. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but just in your own heart, start answering this is, have you ever been in a meaningful relationship? Spouses? That's where you're like squeezing your other spouse's hand like, yes, 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 I've been in a meaningful relationship. Have you ever been in a place though where you desired that and you just didn't have it yet? That it was something you looked forward to, something you longed for. Maybe you had it, but you were away and there was just this longing to be in a deep and meaningful relationship. You know, so many people deal with loneliness. Since 1985, the people who say they do not have any meaningful relationships, like they don't have any person that they can confide in, has tripled since 1985. So when you survey people, they're writing, who do you confide in? They're writing a zero in that spot. No one. And as time has gone on, the number of people we have on average to confide in is now down to two. 
That's not a minimum, that's a maximum on average that we have two people in our lives that we regularly confide on, have a deep and meaningful relationship with, and we share our different things that we probably wouldn't share with just the average person. Over the years, it's come down to two. Now, you can say a lot of that has to do with um, internet and different things like that, and I'm not here to make an argument for or against those things, but I will say the internet cannot fully give us what we really need when we talk about meaningful relationships. See, there's a problem where we're getting further and further away from what I believe God has designed for us, and that's biblical community. And so we're seeing all these adverse reactions of loneliness and depression and different things. Not that if you just had these meaningful relationships that that would be amazing, because they are good, but we still need Christ in those meaningful relationships. If we're talking about true change, if we're talking about true joy or true peace that surpasses all understanding, if we're talking about an eternal relationship or eternal community, it has to be about Jesus. There's a uh, sociologist who wrote a book. It was kind of controversial, but it's something that really stuck out to me. His name is Philip Slater. And one of the things he pointed out to and kind of coined this idea is that as Americans, we have this American individualism and that we have this mentality that we, will, we would rather just ignore the idea of social uh, norms, of the need to be in interdependent relationships. We will just pretend like it doesn't matter. We will just ignore the issue and just say, okay, I can deal without that. And so often that's what people do. I can't tell you, um, being able to do counseling here is a huge honor. And how many times when people are walking through tough times, when people are walking through struggles, when people are walking through sin, maybe it's not just their sin. Maybe it's a sin of someone else that's affecting their life. How many times the community of God is first let go of? Through sin, through shame, through guilt, through feeling like you're not enough, to feeling like you'd be rejected if you were to speak honestly and open about where you are in your life, that they will not understand. And biblical community is one of the first places that people let go of. And that's not what God calls us to. God's calling us to do the opposite of that. And so when we think about biblical community, I want us to realize that it's an important aspect of what God's called us to do. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, and we're going to be seeing the early church. Now, this is where everybody goes when they talk about biblical community, when they look at the church living this out in a real way. But why do we come? What makes this different than any other organization? What makes this set apart? What makes this eternal? When we start asking that question as we go through God's word, I hope that we can answer that by the time we get done today. But in Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, let's read this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, another name for community, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, there's a qualifier, those who believe were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, another way for worship, and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If we read that and we read that alone, 
it sounds like all in, right? It says that they were giving, they were worshiping, even of their time, their resources. We see spiritual needs being met. We see physical needs being met. Oftentimes when you read this passage and you get to the point where like they're selling off their possessions, like some of us get this like, is that's what it means to be a biblical community? I'm not there yet. And that's not what I'm saying God's calling us to be, but these people were in such um, a, a place of surrender and servanthood of what God was doing and the Holy Spirit had come and was doing amazing things. They were seeing signs and wonders and they were just letting go. They were recognizing that nothing they had belonged to them and they were just letting go and saying, whatever we have to do to care for each other. And they were in this place. But if we were to take this passage and look at this passage and just make this checklist and say, all right, we're gonna have dinner, check. Breaking bread, check. Um, we're gonna meet on a regular basis, check. Uh, we're gonna go to temple together, check. We're gonna meet in each other's homes, check. Is that enough? Is that enough for us to say that's biblical community? Does that, is that enough to set us apart to say that that's different than any other organization that has ever existed on the face of the earth? Does that set us apart from Red Cross? Red Cross does amazing things, but does that make us separate? Does that make us a biblical community? If we think about this early church practicing biblical community, it's not just some program. It's not some book that somebody wrote to say, this is how you stimulate growth, uh, not only numerically, but in discipleship. It wasn't just some program that came out of thin air and somebody goes, that's a good idea. If we could just get people to meet in their homes, if we could just get people to break bread together, if we could just get people to, to care for each other, then we'd have something special. See, church, it's not about just a checklist. It's not about just getting these things to be designed so that biblical community stimulates growth both spiritually and physically. It's about so much more than that. So let's go back. And when I say let's go back, let's go way back. Before the foundations of the world. Anybody been there? <coughs> if you're driving through West Texas, you feel like you're getting close. The windmills are a sign. <laughs> so if you go back to before the foundations of the world, all that existed was God. Nothing else. It's hard for my little brain to wrap around that. The existence of time. No created thing was there. It was just the Godhead. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one, existing in eternal community within himself, having no need for anything else. <clears throat> I came prepared this time. <coughs> Not needing anything else or anyone else. Not having this conversation within himself going, man, sure would be nice to have someone else around like, create some little monkey or create some planet. There was nothing of that. God had complete community and satisfaction and everything within himself. But out of his goodness and out of just his creativity and out of his desire to have this purpose and this plan, his sovereignty, his wisdom, God decided in Genesis 1-1 to create. We see Genesis 1-1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. And folks, it's one awesome thing to think that God created, but God created out of nothingness. Out of just the words he spoke, the breath that he gave, <clears throat> everything was created. 
So if you go through Genesis 1, you see that the heavens and the earth were made, the water and the land were separated, day and night were separated. Then you had the, the, the animals of the earth, you had the animals of the sky, you had the water, animals, things like that. <clears throat> then you get to day six when God creates man. And when God creates man, it's separate than anything else. It's like this crown jewel that God says, I'm going to make this one thing that's set apart than all of creation. Don't walk away today saying that I said everything is about you. You will be sorely mistaken. Because the rest of the scripture counters that by saying everything is about Jesus. Everything. Colossians 1 tells us it's by him, for him, to him, through him. Everything's about Jesus. But God, God in his infinite wisdom said, I'm going to make man different. Genesis 1.26, he says, let us make man in our image. When he says our, he's talking about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He gave man dominion over all that had been created. Nobody else has the ability to reason and logic the way man does, has the spirit relationship with God the Father the way man does. There's so many things that God has set us apart for a very specific reason. We get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God, having looked at everything that has been made, after everything is made, he said what? It was good, right? It was good. It was good. But then he's looking, man walking in perfect unity with God, walking in the garden. Sin had not entered in. Death had not entered into creation. The curse had not been brought. That's chapter 3. In chapter 2, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. Did God make a mistake? I don't think so. Sovereign Lord, wisdom, knows everything. Didn't make a mistake. He had a purpose. He had a design. And that design did not mean for man to be alone. That design meant for man to be in community with others. And not only did God create another for him to be in community with, if you look on the end of that, it says, I will make a helper fit for him. That helper had a specific purpose as well. So if we look at this idea that even before the fall, God had this design and purpose for the man he created. And so from the foundations of the world to the beginning of creation, we move forward. And man was walking in the garden without sin, and such a relationship was still not ideal. It wasn't part of the plan that God had. And so he created another person. So let's, let's look at this idea of God as designer, and this God as a designer has a purpose. Let's go to John chapter 17. So if we look at John 16, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's, he's giving them this news that he's like, hey, listen, I'm about to leave you. Like, I'm about to go to the Father. And the disciples are like, what? And he's like, no, it's okay because um, if I leave, something better is coming. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper that's being sent. And so John chapter 17, verse 20, we see this high priestly prayer that Christ is praying. And the next chapters is what we lead up to the arrest, the betrayal, the, the trials, and then the sentencing to his death. And then we see, you know, the people turning against him. We see him wrongfully accused. We see Christ going to the cross, dying, being buried, defeating sin and death, raising from the grave. See how we're working our way back to Acts chapter 2? So we have all these things going on. 16, he's saying, hey, listen, a helper is coming. My earthly ministry is coming to an end. And so Jesus has this prayer that he's praying. In verse 20 of John 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, 
that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. That is his prayer. That whole chapter is just filled with these beautiful words of Jesus saying, God, I want them to understand what you and I have. Why? Because when they understand it and they live in this oneness that you and I have had from the beginning of time, the foundations of the world, even at the beginning of creation, then the people will understand and know that you have sent me and that you love them just as much as you have loved me. Folks, just walked that long ago. He was just saying that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so this desire for us to understand what this community, what this oneness, what this relationship was looking like, church, the reality of the gospel and the way it works out here on earth is that it hinges on the biblical community that you and I are a part of. That when we come and we have given ourselves to the truth of the gospel and we live out biblical community, we testify not only to ourselves but outside of the church that the God of the universe, the creator, the one that set everything in motion, loved us, loved his son, but yet sent his son to die on our behalf even though he did not deserve it and we were still sinners that needed to die for our penalties. It testifies to the gospel, the reality of what God has been doing from the very beginning of time. And so when we think about community, it's not just something that we can check off. It's something much more than that. Isn't it amazing? We always talk about how God writes a better story. This is a better story. This is a better story. So it's apparent to us now that community is not an afterthought. Community is not something that God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Chapter 3 of Genesis happened, sins in the world. I need to fix this. So how can we fix this? We'll, we'll come up with something to help them be in community and oneness. It's not the truth. The truth is, is that God from the very beginning had this in the design. And that God from his very beginning was going to use biblical community as a central outworking of his purpose here on earth. And he was going to use us as a church, as, his, as believers to do this. Jason talked about this last week, but when we are reflecting God, that's when he gets the most glory. And that's true in worship last week. That's going to be true today in biblical community. And that's going to be true next week when we talk about missions. Because we live in a fallen world, and it's a fallen world just like you and I that needs to know the truth. So it brings me to this other idea or this other point that Scripture points out of the, of the body of Christ being in unity and, and the need for us to grow and mature. See, the church or the body of Christ, biblical community, is not a spa or resort. It's not some place where we come all put together like we've got it all figured out and we just get some touch-ups, some relaxation, we get a massage, we sing some songs, get a Bible verse in there and go home. The church has often been described here over and over again. We are a hospital. We are here because we are broken people. Saved by grace, yes. Sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. We are not slaves to sin. 
Yes, but we are still sinner saints who fall and fall repeatedly and fall often. And we are still in need. We have not yet arrived. So if we look at Ephesians chapter 4, specifically verse 11, where you see this growing and this maturity, this discipleship that's happening within the body, within the community, to promote unity, this oneness. And it starts off in verse 11, and it says, And he, he who? He is the Godhead that's always existed. He is the God in Genesis 1-1 who created. He is the God in Genesis 2 who said it's not good for man to be alone. He is the God in John 17 praying the priestly prayer, Christ. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped when we each, or when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There is a purpose to biblical community. We see in John 17, we see in those other passages that God was the designer of it, but we also see that there is a purpose um, oftentimes in uh, counseling, when I talk to people about purpose and design, um, I use a hairdryer as an example. And the reason why is just something that's always stuck in my mind. If you look at a hairdryer, there is a little tag on the cord that says, do not take a bath or shower with. The reason that's on there is at some point, somebody did that. They may not be with us anymore, but at some point, somebody somewhere decided electricity and water is not that big of a deal. But here's the problem. There was a designer and there was a purpose for a hairdryer, and it's antithetical to water. It is to remove water. And when we start using things that were designed and purposed outside of its intention, bad things happen. And God, being the designer of the church, of you and I, of biblical community, has a design and a purpose that he's laid out for us. Not to be a rule monger, not to just be an authoritative person, but because he loves us and he's caring for us and he has a purpose for us. We see all of these things coming in verse 13. It talks about how we do this because we're trying to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God so that we can be grown up in discipleship. Why? So we're not being tossed to and fro by the winds of just any doctrine that comes along where somebody just says, this is the truth, this is the truth, and we just go, okay, let's go. No, God's word is there for us to be taught and to be, to be brought up together in this unity because when we come to this unity, we are being equipped and used, and it makes the body grow. 
See, discipleship and biblical community is for the believers, but as we grow deeper in our relationship with each other and with the Lord, it affects those outside of us. Remember, because when we do this, when we have this unity and oneness, then it testifies to everyone that Jesus was sent because he loved us and because the Father loved him, and so that we may know that as well. It happens when a group of folks gather together and recognize their neediness for forgiveness. It happens when we recognize our neediness for grace. It happens when we recognize our neediness and dependence upon God and his word. True community happens when we get transparent and authentic. authentic. Yeah, that's right. And then we get vulnerable with each other. We get vulnerable with each other. So often we... The biggest thing that kills intimacy and meaningful relationship is when we put on these facades and we say, maybe it's better if I do this. We put on this facade and we say, this is who I am. But the true person is right here. But we keep pointing everybody's attention to this person, this person, this person. But this isn't real. To be authentic, authentic. I don't need to switch different words. To be transparent and vulnerable means to look right here, to look at the heart of who I really am, to not put on this facade, not to put up this front, because it is scary to be vulnerable and transparent in front of somebody. Have you ever sat and just looked into like your spouse's eyes? Man, it's intimate. It feels scary. It's vulnerable. So when we do those things, When we become transparent, we become vulnerable. We allow the change to actually happen within us. We allow other people to know how to speak truth into our lives, to speak truth in love. One of the most important ways the community helps us is by embodying Christ's presence day in and day out. When I'm in need of forgiveness, church, and you guys walk in forgiveness with me, it reminds me of the Father's forgiveness. When I'm in need of love and you, church, love me, even though I don't deserve it, it reminds me of a love of the Father. When you speak truth into my life because you see a need for correction based off Scripture, it reminds me that God's not done. And that what hasn't happened yet will. And even though I haven't arrived one day, God is going to perfect what he has started. See, there's so many things going on in this world Um, sinners and hostility, our own sins and our own failures. But when we walk in unity and we walk out what it means to be gospel-driven, we walk out what it means to be in biblical community, then we are able to be compassionate, encourage, lighten the load of the weight of the sin that happens. We're not talking about making provisions or excuses for sin. We're talking about being real and dealing with them. You know what that means? There's going to be some awkward conversations. There's going to be some hard times in relationships. There's going to be times where you just don't know what to say. But God is going to use those times. I think about the deepest relationships in my life here on earth, and I've walked through tough times with those relationships. The relationships I've never had to walk through a tough time have never gone into that deep area the way these have. Just two off the top of my head is my wife is one. We've gone through tough times with our, our own marriage, with our kids, with death, with life, different things, life that's happened. And God has brought us out closer because of that. 
There's another friend of mine. We went to school together, and we walked through some tough times being roommates. You know, iron sharpens iron, you know, but that's a lifelong friend because of those tough times. Unity in the church, I've walked through tough times here at this church, and you guys have walked back with me, and man, our relationships just went deeper and deeper. But here's the thing, it wasn't a checklist. It wasn't just your goodness. It was Christ and Christ alone. Because if we start adding things to biblical community, that it's got to be biblical community plus this, plus that, we've got to add this, we've got to take that away, those are communities that Christ can be removed from and they can still exist. And that's, what not, that's not what biblical community is. Biblical community is based off Christ and Christ alone, his word, his truth. Is it great that you and I can laugh and love certain sports or certain things out in the country? Yeah, that's great, but it's got to be built on this. That friend that I told you about that we went through college together, we don't have anything in common other than Christ. We literally have no hobbies or anything else in common other than Christ. And he's one of the deepest, godliest friendships I've had that God has provided. And when we think about biblical community, that's how so many people can come together and not have everything in common, but yet have everything in common because of Christ. We don't have everything in common. Think about that. But because of Christ, we can have everything in common. That means that ethnicity, means race, that means social class, that means where you came from, all those different things. If it's not unbiblical, then we can overcome it. Biblical community can transcend that. Biblical community can transcend that. When we look through scripture and we look through the one another statements, biblical community is one of these things where we can do one, one to each other, love one another, outdo one another, comfort and agree with one another, live in harmony with one another, serve one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, be honest with one another, Encourage one another. Confess sin to one another. You want to talk about being transparent and vulnerable? Confessing sin one to another. Not just, hey, I'm a sinner, but getting specific of where we struggle and praying for one another. Getting real with each other. All those are found throughout the New Testament of being there for one another. As the band gets ready to come forward, I'm going to have them come on up. I want us to answer this question of what is biblical community? I'm not going to have like this sum it all up statement. I just want to give you some characteristics of it. Biblical community is redemptive. It's a safe place to confess sin, not make provisions, not make excuses, but ownership of it where we can fail forward. Biblical community is transparent where we can get real. Biblical community is intentional. It means I am putting an effort and connecting regularly. Biblical community is relational. Biblical community is all about giving. Sharing generously of our time and our resources. Biblical community is oftentimes intrusive as we invite others into our lives and us into theirs. And finally, biblical community is about serving. It's not about anything else other than Christ and these principles that his word teach us over and over and over again. 
I'm going to invite us into a time to respond. And I'm going to just invite you to close your head, close your eyes, bow your head. And as we think about what God's word has been uh, stated today and we think about all these different things, where is God challenging you this morning? If God's looking at biblical community and he's laying it out there, where is he saying that this is where you need to strive harder? Or this is an area of weakness for you. Don't be afraid to step into transparency with another. Maybe he's calling you to serve. Maybe he's calling you to pray for someone. Maybe he's calling you to just love on somebody. Maybe for the first time you're ready to get transparent and real about where you are in your life. But as we've heard God's word today and we see his design and his purpose, let us, let's respond. We're going to respond way, one way or another today, but I pray that you would respond in just saying yes to the Lord. And we have our prayer partners up front. We're going to have them in the back as well, and they would love to meet with you. They would love to live out community with you right here, right now. Father God, as we come before you and just thank you that, Lord, you are a designer, that, God, you didn't just haphazardly create, but, God, you had intention, you had purpose. God, you had a grand design for all of us. I pray, Father, that you would just make it evident where those areas in our lives are strong, where those areas in our lives are weak, and that, God, we need to give more of ourselves to you. I pray, Father, that Solid Rock would be a church that represents and reflects your image so much that the unity of this church would just be a testimony to the fact that you came. You lived out the will of the Father because you loved him and he loved you. And we were able to know that love. I pray for those that are here this morning, maybe they don't understand what it means to have a relationship with you, what it means to be forgiven, what it means to walk in grace and freedom from the shame and the guilt. I pray, Father, that you would just give them the courage to step out and ask somebody for help. We would love to be with them. Father, we pray this in your precious and holy name.